As we continue in service, uh, we take a time to study the Word of God and to know uh, our God better. So if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. And as we've been working through our series in the Gospel of Luke. It's a lengthy passage, so I'll be reading the text within the sermon this morning. Luke chapter 14. Verses 1 through 24. Let's pray one more time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your scripture is inspired. It's inspired by you so that it might be profitable and make the man of God and the woman of God adequate and fully equipped for every good work. And Lord, we praise you and thank you that your word is, is, is like a sword. It's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, even. It divides and cuts into our hearts and souls. It reveals to us not only your will, but it reveals to us who we are and where we stand before you. Well, Lord, give us humble hearts as we come to your word now. Help us to be open to hearing what your word has to say. Help us to be responsive, to examine our lives in light of your word, that we might ensure that we who believe upon Christ, who profess faith in Christ, might make sure and have confidence that we will enter into the kingdom that you have promised for those who believe. That we would not be deceived, thinking that will enter the kingdom, but in reality, be left watching on the outside. God, we pray for all, especially that if there's anyone here who is, does not know Christ, that this message today might speak to their hearts, that you would help them to examine their own life before you. And God, we pray you would be glorified and build up your church through this preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you <clears throat> may recall way back, you know, way back when, you know, way back before coronavirus and shelter in place, there used to be something called, I don't know if you remember, but something called a, a banquet. Do you remember that? It was this large gathering of people where you would share a a lavish meal together to celebrate a a special moment like a wedding or a rebirth or a retirement or something to that like. And you would actually be seated at the same table with other people who were not in your social bubble. Of course, it would be a time of rejoicing and happiness and There would sometimes be dancing and singing. Uh, But it was a happy time, a gathering of people over food and to rejoice in the events of our lives. But if you remember, not just anyone could show up at these banquets. You had to receive an invitation to which you were expected to respond. And if you replied, yes, I will attend, then you could attend and enjoy the banquet. With coronavirus ongoing, uh, 
we probably wonder when, if any of us will ever partake of another banquet again, much less simply a buffet at a restaurant. And if we never do in this life, for those of us in Christ, there will be one final banquet that we will all together partake and celebrate in the kingdom of God when Christ returns to earth. This banquet is called the Messianic Banquet. It's taught in both the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, for instance, the promised coming of the Messiah, as we read in Isaiah 25, is described as a banquet, a lavish one. In the New Testament, uh, particularly our passage today, as well as its parallel in Matthew 22, the future kingdom of God is similarly described in terms of a wedding banquet. In Revelation 19, verse 6 through 9, we learn further that this wedding banquet celebrates the wedding of the Lamb of God, of, the, of Jesus Christ, and His bride, the redeemed. So then, this wedding supper, or sometimes the word is, can be translated wedding banquet, wedding feast, this wedding supper of the Lamb is the messianic banquet of the kingdom of God. They're one and the same. Every Israelite expressed hope in their participation in this future banquet of God's kingdom. And so should every believer in Jesus Christ today. In our passage this morning, on the occasion of a meal with some Pharisees, Jesus warns them of the danger of missing out on the Messianic banquet in the kingdom of God. Throughout this meal, Jesus gives several instructions for the invited guests to this kingdom. And for you and me, for our listeners today, this passage instructs those of us who are followers of Christ of the danger of missing out on the kingdom of God. Like the Israelites in this text, too many think they're in, but Jesus warns that you might be missing out. This passage thematically parallels the previous passage that we looked at uh, last week in the previous chapter, where Jesus warned the Israelites to enter through the narrow door of faith in Him. One could say that where the previous passage uh, taught who was going to enter the kingdom, this passage teaches who was not going to enter the kingdom. For an outline for us today, we're going to look at four characteristics of those invited invited to the kingdom of God who will not taste the Lord's banquet. Four characteristics of those invited who will not taste the Lord's banquet. And so these are characteristics that we ourselves should examine in our own lives to make sure that we're not characterized by these qualities. All right, so let's take a look then. The first characteristic of those who will not taste the Lord's banquet are those who are self-centered. Self-centered, verses 1 to 6. What is described here in verse 1 to 6 is a healing, another healing that takes place on the Sabbath. Look at verses 1 to 6 with me of chapter 14. It happened that when uh, he, that is Jesus, went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent, and he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, 
Which of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. One day, Jesus is invited to a Sabbath meal at the home of a, one of the leaders of the Pharisees. Uh, was this an act of kindness, perhaps, or a, an olive branch towards Jesus? No. For we see at the end of verse 1, it tells us that they were watching him closely. It's just like back in chapter 6, verse 7, when the scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. They were doing the same thing here. And this healing is the third Sabbath healing that Luke records. The first was the man with the withered hand in chapter 6. The second was the woman who was bent double in chapter 13. And now this time, there's a man with dropsy. Dr. Luke uses a term that he doesn't, that's not found anywhere else in the New Testament. It refers, it's a medical term that refers to a swelling caused by uh, the retention of water in the various tissues. It's often associated with heart or kidney failure. We would call this term, uh, we call it edema today. Uh, this man was quite sick. Possibly he was dying. And in the province of God, this man was now standing before the Son of God. And the Pharisees were watching to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus challenges their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking with a simple theological question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He's surrounded by religious leaders, religious experts. He challenges them with some basic truth. What does the law of God say? Can you heal on the Sabbath or not? Did the law forbid healing on the Sabbath? No, not at all. The fourth commandment particularly forbade working on the Sabbath, yes. But as we had learned previously, the Israelites had uh, <clears throat> come up with 39 categories of work that were considered a violation of, of the Sabbath, the Sabbath commandment. Healing was not one of them. It wasn't the law by which these Pharisees were judging Jesus. It was their tradition. And since they had nothing to say, they said nothing, Jesus proceeded to simply do what he always does. In compassion, he heals the man. He healed the man of his dropsy immediately. And then he asked a second, even more probing question than the first. He asked, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? Here they are, they're all judging him. And immediately, this question just kind of <laughs> uh, sets them all back. It's a question that was similar to one asked back in chapter 13, verse 15. Jesus, by asking this question, points out their selfishness. If it's your son, or if it's your ox, that falls down a well on a Sabbath day, will you do anything about it? The obvious answer is, of course. Yes, my son falls down a well. I don't care what day, what time. I'm going down, throwing a rope down, climbing down, bringing him back up out of the well. And same with my ox or, you know, at least, or whatever modern day equivalent that would be. Of course, they're going to do that for their own son or their own ox. Why not then 
for someone else's son? Why not then for a fellow human being in need? They could not reply because Jesus had revealed their self-centeredness. They were willing to do for themselves what they were not willing to do for others. They cared about themselves, but not about others. They were lovers of self, but not lovers of others, which ultimately shows that they were not lovers of God. They were in danger of missing the kingdom of God. Yet in love for them, Jesus teaches and warns them. In addressing his fellow guests, we observe a second characteristic of those who will not taste the banquet of the Lord. Verse 7 11, we find that those who are self-exalting will not taste the banquet of the Lord. Verse 7 through 11, we pick up with me here. He now, uh, we read, And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We just read here that Jesus begins to tell a parable to the invited guests of this dinner party. He had noticed how they were simply jockeying for the places of honor. They were trying to get in those best spots. And he knew the heart behind it. The honored seats, of course, were those seats that were closest to the host. They were to the left and to the right. Much like even a wedding banquet today. The closer you sit to the bride and groom, it it reflects one's status or is a sign of honor. And these guests were seeking honor for themselves. They sought to exalt themselves through where they sat. Earlier, in fact, in Luke chapter 11, verse 43, Jesus had condemned the Pharisees for their love of the chief seats in the synagogues. They also had the love for the chief seats in banquets. And the parable that Jesus tells is drawn from the proverbial wisdom out of Proverbs 25, verse 6 and 7. He changes the illustration a little bit. Now he uses the, uh, the idea of a wedding feast. If you're invited, he tells them, don't take the place of honor. Because the host might then come up to you and ask you to, to give up your seat for someone more distinguished than you. And then you have the shame and embarrassment of walking back to the, to the least uh, honorable seat. And you are shamed before all. Instead, Jesus says, when you're invited to such a banquet and you arrive, sit in the least honorable seat. So the host, when he comes, he may come up to you and ask you to move on up. Sit closer to him. Sit in a more honorable seat. And thus, as you walk up, everyone will see and you'll be honored before all. And his point of the parable is explained in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This exact same principle is quoted at the end of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. 
The Pharisee, if you remember in that parable, had boasted in his godliness, in his religious devotion. He had boasted that he was not like the tax collector. But the tax collector had a quite a different attitude, did he not? Look at Luke 18, verse 13 to 14. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the tax collector was the one who was saved because he humbled himself and recognized that he was a sinner. Jesus' words here in this parable are not meant to be merely to be a guide for how to choose a seat at the next banquet. Rather, they convey a spiritual reality that you and I must humble your, ourselves in order to enter the kingdom of God. Those who exalt themselves, those who seek honor for themselves, will not enter it. Jesus had seen the self-exaltation of the Pharisees, and he knew that they could not enter the kingdom with that attitude. The same principle is still at work today. Unless you humble yourself before the Lord and recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not taste of the banquet. In verses 12 to 14, Jesus moves from addressing the guests to addressing the host, in which we learn a third characteristic of those who will not taste the banquet of the Lord, those who are self-serving. 12 to 14, let's read it together. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus instructs his host on whom to invite when he gives a luncheon or dinner. He tells him to not invite simply his friends or relatives or his rich neighbors. Instead, he tells the host to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And what Jesus is saying here, he's not giving an absolute rule for basically for how you and I ought to send out invitations when we have our next banquet. He's not saying that you cannot invite your family or friends for dinner. Nor is he advocating that you can only invite those who are disadvantaged or disabled. Jesus himself, you recall, attended dinners and banquets that were hosted by his friends. Think of his meals with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, or even the wedding feast in John chapter 2 of either a close friend or a relative of the family. What he is saying is don't invite only those who can reciprocate. You know, if you've ever planned a wedding guest list, and I know some of you are already doing that, have been doing that, you know that there's oftentimes this, this sense of obligation that we feel when we're making our list. An obligation to invite those people to your wedding who have, been, who have invited you to theirs. 
And you really feel this kind of obligation when it's your parents coming and telling you this. And they come and tell you, oh, no, you have to invite my friends because I was invited to my friend's children's wedding, you see. And, and the obligation goes on. In the case of this host, he had invited his fellow Pharisees, his fellow scribes. He invited people of importance, of influence. This was probably the, uh, the elite of the society in this town. People who would benefit the host by reciprocal invitations. His invitations are extended not really for the benefit of others, but for his own benefit. So Jesus exhorts the host then to use whenever he has luncheons, whenever he has dinners, to serve those who could not repay him in kind. He's calling the host to generosity in serving others. To not be self-serving, but to be others-serving. To give generously to those who can't give back is a mark of, of those who will enter the kingdom of God. You can look at Matthew 25, 34-40 as uh, another example of this construction. But I would just simply point to a, uh, a passage in Proverbs. Proverbs 19, verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. It honors God. God is pleased. God rewards those who give to those who cannot give back. Their reward will not be in this world when you give to those who are poor and afflicted and needy. But your reward will be in the resurrection of the righteous. Your reward will be part of being resurrected in the kingdom of God. And the application here for us isn't who we invite or not invite to our banquets. Though I think there, it does apply in that situation in some way. Rather, the key is asking, who do we serve with our resources? Who do we serve with our, our meals, our dinners, our banquets? Do we serve ourselves by serving those who can reciprocate? Or do we serve others? Do we seek to serve others with our generosity by serving those who can't pay us back? Or at least that we that we serve others without thought to whether they can pay us back. On a more personal level, I ask you, do we extend ourselves to those to whom we may consider of lesser standing or unimportant? Or do we ignore the lowly? Do you associate with them? Or do you only associate with people that are like you? Do you associate with people who you think are cool? Or, well, at least maybe not cool. It depends on your social group preference. One last characteristic, and uh, we move on. One last characteristic of those who will not taste of the Lord's banquet in the kingdom, we find in verses 15 to 24. And those who will not taste of the banquet of the kingdom are those who are self-seeking. Self-seeking. And this is a, be a lengthy section, part of the remainder of our sermon. Verse 15, just read verse, verse 15 first. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Uh, you can imagine the awkwardness of the situation that Jesus' words had just created. He had just called out his invited guests for, uh, for their, their self-exaltation, and he called out his, his host for being self-serving. And they were like, Blue said that. So one of the guests simply responds kind of with this just 
kind of just think to, uh, to carry on the conversation. Oh, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And while this is a true statement, blessed is everyone who eat the kingdom of God, it's sort of like, you can imagine, it's the equivalent of saying, you know, when you're at a big disagreement, you start talking about politics or religion, and you say, well, you know, uh, someone busts out and says, well, you know, all roads lead to heaven, <laughs> or something like that. Or, well, you know, we may disagree about this or that, but, you know, we're, at least we're all going to be, we're all going to get to heaven one day. It's going to be all good when that time comes. It's like that. It's going to just to, uh, to disarm the situation. Yet Jesus knew that many, if not all, of his fellow guests were not going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. At least not, at this, not in the present condition. They were going to be on the outside of the kingdom. So in loving compassion, he gives a final parable as a warning to them. And it serves as a warning to us. Listen to verse 16 and 20. But he said to him, he responds to the man, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Oh, please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. In the custom of that day, we'll stop right there, uh, there are oftentimes two invitations to a, or for banquets uh, that were sent. There was the initial invitation that was sent to all the invited guests so they might be able to respond, sort of like an RSVP. And so once they responded, it was, uh, then the preparations for the banquet would begin. And when they were completed, the banquet was ready, a final invitation would be sent out by uh, this, the, the host, servants of the host. And these invited guests would be then informed that the banquet was ready and that they could then come and enjoy. And that's what takes place here in, the, in this parable. Everyone who has been invited and said that they would attend are now invited to come. But when the final invitation call is made, the guests come up with excuses to not attend. The first seeks excuse because of his property. He had just bought a new land and he wanted to check it out. The second seeks excuse because of his work. He just acquired five yoke of oxen for his farming and he wanted to try it out. The third seeks excuse because of his relationship. He had just gotten married and he wanted to spend time with her. These excuses simply reflect a priority of self. It was their possessions, their work, their relationships that were of greater importance than the banquet that they had been invited to and accepted. Sadly, these kinds of excuses are often the excuses that people give for not seeking God's kingdom today. People would rather seek after their own possessions their own pursuits, their own personal relationships above seeking entry into God's kingdom. And so Jesus continues the parable, verse 21 to 24. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. 
And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. When the master hears all these excuses, he gets upset, of course, because it's a great insult to him. He responds by sending his servants out to the community to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame into this meal. This is the same list as earlier, representing all the outcasts and the lowly of society. And so that's what his servants do. They go out and they invite the, uh, those who are, are, who are of humble means, those who cannot repay. And even when they've been invited, there is still room to be in this banquet. And so the master, in desire to see his house filled, tells his servants to go out into the highways, leave, go outside the city, go out to the highways, go out to the hedges, basically where the, the trees are growing, and convince those who are there, the, the strangers, the travelers, the outsiders, the homeless, those who, have no, who do not belong in our community, but compel them, invite them, convince them to come into the banquet. And Jesus, in telling this parable to the Pharisees, and scribes was simply pointing out that they were like these invited guests who were making up excuses to enter the kingdom of God. They were invited to the kingdom of God. They were invited through the prophets and through the revelation of the scriptures. But they, and they would have given lip service to it, but they didn't really want it. They were seeking their own kingdom instead of God's. They were more concerned about their own possessions, their own pursuits, their own people than God's kingdom. They were more concerned with their own traditions than the truths of God. And that's why they condemned Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. They talked as if they sought the kingdom, but they walked like they didn't. And how did they ultimately reveal their rejection of God's kingdom? Because when God sent his son to them to invite them, into the kingdom, to explain to them all that is required and how one might enter into the kingdom of God through faith in Him, they rejected Him and condemned Him to the cross, condemning themselves in that process. So God then in the rest of the par- in this parable promises uh, through this description of the invitation to the to the lowly, to the uh, uh, and then the ex- and the extending that invitation to those who are uh, outside in the highways and the hedges, he's promised to invite the lowly of Jewish society and, and even the the Gentiles, the, uh, the heathen Gentile into his kingdom. Verse twenty four is is uh, significant. It's uh, it's just very it's very uh, vivid. Uh, description. And at first it seems like a continuation of the parable. But when Jesus says, for I tell you, Jesus is using the second person plural pronoun there. He says, for I tell you all. If he was speak, if this was the master speaking to his slave, we would expect the singular pro- pronoun. But he uses the plural pronoun. For I tell you. So therefore, verse 24 is, is more likely, most likely, Jesus' words, his own personal words, to all who are present 
in this meal to the man who, who, who just spoke in verse 15, as well as all the other invited guests there. All of you in this room who think you are going to be in the kingdom of God and join the banquet, I tell all of you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner, of Jesus' wedding banquet. It is a warning for all of them. They all had believed that blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus tells them, none of you will eat bread. None of you will taste of my banquet in the kingdom. Those invited guests who seek their own kingdom instead of God's kingdom will not taste of his banquet. And that's what Jesus teaches through this parable. All four of these characteristics you can really, really you can see there uh, just by how I've titled them are really reflective of the same thing. A worship of self. An idol- a self-idolatry. Placing ourselves before God. Seeking our kingdom instead of God's kingdom. It has been 2,000 years since Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. And since then, the invitation to enter his kingdom and partake of his banquet has been extended to all the world. And Jesus' instructions are warnings for you and me to guard against selfishness in all its manifestations. Jesus' words make clear that no self-centered, self-exalting, self-serving, and self-seeking person will taste of his banquet. Only those who humbly seek after his kingdom will enter. I leave you with three questions for thought. The first and most important question is this. Have you responded to the invitation to enter the wedding banquet of the kingdom of God through faith alone in Christ alone? Have you responded to Jesus' offer, his invitation for you to enter into his kingdom through faith in him? Faith alone. Not by any words, faith alone, in Christ alone. Will you, will you trust, put your trust and faith in Him for the forgiveness of your sins? If you have not, I invite you to today. Jesus invites you today. And His offer stands as long as you live on this earth. But if He's calling you, Receive him today. There's a second question that I'd like to ask. Is that If so, if you have responded to the invitation, then ask yourself, this passage should cause us all to, exa- to examine ourselves. Does your life reflect a focus on self or a focus on God and others? Those who are going to enter the kingdom are going to be people who have a focus on God. Ask yourself, are you self-centered or other-centered? Is your life characteristic of self-exalting or self-humbling? In your endeavors, are you self-serving or other-serving? In your pursuits, are you self-seeking or God-seeking? What are you seeking? What is your aim? What is your focus, object of worship? Self or God?
And then in light of the parable, final, the parable that Jesus t- tells at the end, I really just ask you, what kinds of possessions, pursuits, or even personal relations, people, are, are, come before you seeking God's kingdom? What kind of things are hindering you from seeking God's kingdom? What things are you pursuing and putting above the pursuit of God? Are there any possessions that you would rather have than God's kingdom? Are there any pursuits of, of, or endeavors in your life, work, aims, goals, life goals that you would rather have or, or take care of before you can take care of entering into the kingdom of God? Are there any people or personal relationships that you would rather develop before entering, before pursuing a, a right relationship with God? Anytime we put anything else before God, it's idolatry. Well, I hope and pray that all of us who have heard these words of Jesus Christ, that we would, that we would make sure that we have entered the kingdom, that we have received and responded to the invitation, but that we also are now would uh, examine our lives to see if our, if our genuine entrance in the kingdom of God is reflected in a focus on others, in a focus on God and others, and not a focus on self. Let's not be like the Pharisees and scribes of Jesus' day. Let us be like the tax gatherers, the, the tax collector, who humbles himself and cries out to God for mercy and seeks him in him alone. For one day, Jesus will return and the banquet will be had. And I pray and hope that our delight and our joy is that we will see each other and one another in that feast. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, Father, thank you for sending us your Son who made the way for us to enter into your kingdom to be able to partake of the wedding feast and banquet of the Lamb. God, we pray that we would take to heart the example of the Pharisees and scribes in this text. That we would cause us to examine our own lives to see if there is any selfishness and any focus on self that is not according to your ways. Help us to focus on you. Help us to seek first your kingdom, not our kingdom. Help us to seek to humble ourselves, not to honor ourselves. Lord, help us to continually depend upon you so that we might use the lives you give us or whatever remaining days to serve you and to serve others. so that others who come to know the love of Christ through us might be invited to also partake and enter into the wedding banquet in the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray that you be glorified as we each respond to your word throughout this week. We ask that you glorify yourself as your word goes forth into our hearts.
These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.